Hey, once you're done listening to Live from the Poundstone Institute, check out this week's Car Talk podcast. It's where America turns for marital advice, psychological analysis, scientific theory, brotherly insults, and even some occasional car advice. If you need to feel better about the world, and don't we all, spend an hour with Click and Clack on this week's Car Talk podcast. Listen to it on the NPR One app and at npr.org slash podcasts. Hey, Paula, a helpful bit of scientific information just came into the Institute. Do you want to hear about it? I do. It's very helpful. Here we go. The Department of Homeland Security's website, ready.gov, has issued an important warning in the event of a nuclear explosion. Shampoo your hair. You can do that, but don't use conditioner. Why? Well, why? Why? Because uh, conditioner, apparently whatever's in conditioner, it bonds the radiation to your hair. Oh, boy. It's yeah. not something you think of. No, you wouldn't. You know, I'm thinking soft, supple, tangle free. Right. <laughs> Never occurred to me. What's Radiation interesting is bonding. They're looking ahead to a time when a bomb has gone off locally and you are still thinking soft, supple, wrinkle free. Yeah. <laughs> this is a very positive uh, idea, I think, for nuclear war. I mean, I always figured it meant everything was over, that's it. But apparently. Apparently, there's, there's, still, still, there's still hair. And you want it to look its best because the skin beneath is going to be really bad looking. <laughs> this must be from like the think positive section of ready.gov. Yeah, ready.gov. Yeah, it's yeah. got a think positive section. The, the think negative section is short. It must have stuff like how to decorate your fallout shelter. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe a section on manners. Yeah. Ten etiquette tips for entertaining the walking dead. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh-huh. Never say give me some skin. <laughs> <laughs> From NPR, it's live from the Poundstone Institute, where it's not what you know, which is a great relief to our faculty. On today's show, money can buy happiness, and not just because in many states money can now buy recreational marijuana. And the science of Oreo dunking. Finally, some fluid dynamics you can use. Plus, country music superstar Trisha Yearwood stops by to peer review some research for us. If you're using the metric system, by the way, a 10-gallon cowboy hat is 37.8 liters. I'm Chief of Research Adam Felber, and now, here's your host, the director of the Poundstone Institute, Paula Poundstone! Thank you very much. Welcome, everybody, to the Poundstone Institute, where we're smarter than the average bear. But we've done IQ testing on bears, and frankly, that's not much to be proud of. (laughs) So, Adam, where does our quest for knowledge begin today? Well, Paula, we're going to find out all about buying happiness. I love that idea. Yeah, let me ask you something, Paula. If you had 50 bucks to burn, just 50 bucks, I gave it to you, and I said, here's 50 bucks to make yourself as happy as possible, what would you spend it on? Uh... Probably some sort of sweet food. You'd buy a sweet food. More than likely, ringdings. Okay. <laughs> How much are ringdings running you in your neighborhood now? Well, they they're only sold in six states, so I'd have to. You'd have to buy a tic- bus ticket. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So there's your fifty dollars yeah, right there. Right there, it's transportation yeah. for the ringdings. Okay. So so you think you'd buy a food? That would be the thing to make you happy. Probably. Okay. Yeah. Oh, you're wrong. Well, our first guest <laughs> conducted a study that found that when we spend our money on things that buy us time, 
like paying someone to clean our house instead of having to do it ourselves, we end up happier than if we spend the same money to buy a thing for ourselves. Oh. Ashley Willens is an assistant professor at Harvard Business School. Ashley, welcome to the Poundstone Institute. Thank you so much for having me. So, Ashley, you found out that if we're trying to be happy, we should pay someone to do something for us. Now, did you do this research yourself, or did you pay someone to do it? <laughs> well, I was a grad student, so I think other people were uh, delegating uh, the, the task of this research to me when I conducted this study. Um, but yes, we did find that people who spent money on time-saving purchases to buy themselves out of their disliked tasks in daily life reported greater overall life satisfaction and happiness. Wow, so if I had 50 bucks to burn, I shouldn't buy myself a new shirt, I'm gonna be happier spending it to get takeout for my family instead of cooking them dinner, right? That's right. Wow, so how did you test this theory? So first we surveyed a bunch of people, so people from Denmark, Canada, the US, and the Netherlands, and we asked people to rate how happy they were on a, a 10 point scale. So on this ladder of happiness, where would you rate yourself? A zero, not at all, to 10, extremely happy. Ashley. It's me, Paula Poundstone. Aren't the people in Denmark already really happy? <laughs> well, even for them, buying time promotes happiness. Yeah. Wow. So what we found is across all of these different samples, all kinds of different people, men, women, wealthier, less wealthy uh, participants, people who spend money to buy time reported greater overall So what, did you give them money? Is that what happened? You gave them money and said, yeah. go make yourself happy? So what we found, we then run an experiment because in survey data, maybe just happier people are more likely to buy time um, because they want to have more free time because right. they have ways to spend it in happier ways. Give me some examples, Ashley, of ways of buying time. Yeah, so uh, grocery delivery, oh. house cleaning, uh. taking a taxi instead of taking the bus. Parking in a more expensive lot that's closer Ooh. to where you're going. Oh. I don't know Our if you've ever been here. One very clever participant hired the neighbor's kid to go to the mall on the weekend to run an errand for her. So I liked that example. What, what errand? Do we know? Because I think that's important information. So it was something related to her cell phone. She needed to get her cell phone battery replaced, and she didn't know exactly what battery she needed to buy, so she gave her neighbor's kid 40 bucks to figure it all out for and her. And she embezzled the last 10 for herself. <laughs> yeah, wow. I don't like to leave the house once I'm home. I do like to have other people go out and do stuff. Are there any tests that you pay someone or would pay someone to do? I had someone else bowl for me once. <laughs> bowl? Yeah, just go bowling. I was invited bowling and... I'm not that good at it, and it didn't seem like that much fun. So, so you paid someone to bowl I paid for? someone else to bowl for me. You realize that you could have just not gone bowling. Uh, yeah, but this way I won. <laughs> so I had that good feeling. Um, people also talk about the satisfaction of doing something yourself, like cooking a meal or exactly. raising, raising mm -hmm. your own kids. Mm -hmm. Are there diminishing returns on paying people to do something for you? There are. So what we found in our study is that people who pay the most money to buy time are the least happy in our studies. Oh boy, so there's a tipping point. There is a tipping point. Yeah. 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 You, a, a few tasks here and there, things you don't like doing. So I think the bowling example is important. Paula said, really don't like bowling. You got to outsource tasks you really don't like doing. Yeah. Well, you know, like I, I found myself, I was home from work uh, last weekend and uh, I cleaned all the litter boxes, and I don't just mean sifting. I mean, I emptied them, and I scrubbed the inside out and the outside, and you know, Ashley, it was deeply satisfying. 
uh, I did feel good. And I can't, by the way, I couldn't get anyone else to do that job. No. If I gave someone 50 bucks for that job, they they'd would go, sip. yeah, you and your 50 bucks can take a hike, yeah. pretty much. <laughs> Ashley, assuming it is true, though, that people don't actually pay for stuff a lot, why not? Why don't people pay? Yeah, so there's a few reasons. Uh, one is people feel kind of bad. There are some tasks that maybe we feel like we, we really should just probably do that ourselves. What would our in-laws think of us if they knew that we weren't cleaning our house ourselves? So guilt is definitely a major factor. Um, we okay. also know that we're not very good at planning in the future. We always think we're going to have more time tomorrow than we do today. Oh, and, yeah. And so because of this fact, uh, we're not very good at, at planning to spend money uh, to buy ourselves time in the future. Well, that makes sense to me. Yeah. Now, Ashley, has this um, research changed your own behaviors? Or, uh, and if so, why are you doing this interview instead of paying somebody to do it for you? <laughs> well, one, this interview is fun, so I wouldn't want to spend money to get someone else to do it. Um, and two, yes, definitely this research has changed how I spend money. I bought myself time in a really drastic way by spending more on rent to live closer to work, saving oh. myself time on a commute every single day. Yeah. You know, w uh, wouldn't it make you happier if you had someone carry you? <laughs> uh, future research will determine the answer to that question. Well, Ashley, this is amazing work you've done, and because I respect your findings, I'm going to pay Adam to finish up thanking you. <laughs> Adam, here's a buck. It's all I have. Okay, I'll take it. Ashley Willems is an assistant professor at Harvard Business School. Ashley, thank you so much for joining us at the Poundstone Institute. Yeah, thanks so much for having thanks, me. Thanks, Ashley. Bye, thanks. Do you guys, does anybody, anybody else, uh, other than having food delivered, do, is there any other way that you, yeah. I had somebody pay me to build their Ikea furniture. Oh, you had somebody pay you to build their Ikea furniture? Yeah. And... And they were joyous doing something else during that time? They weren't. Yeah, they left. They just left me by myself. They left? And yeah. what were they doing? I think they went bowling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so For you. My 50 bucks went to them, and then it went to you. Yeah, yeah. Straight to me. Well, the endowment here at the Poundstone Institute has been suffering since we started accepting tuition in the form of Starbucks gift cards. Fortunately, we have some wonderful sponsors helping us fill in the gaps. We'd like to thank Sunbasket. Sunbasket sends organic and sustainable ingredients to your door, pre-measured and ready to go, so you can prepare delicious meals in around 30 minutes. Sunbasket takes the guesswork out of preparation, makes cleanup easier, and you get to skip the grocery store. I never use guesswork when I measure, by the way. A cup of sugar is 30 restaurant packets, and a cup of water is to the top of Woody's head in our Toy Story cup. Sunbasket has meals designed to fit every busy lifestyle. Choose from paleo, lean and clean, gluten-free, vegetarian, and family options. I'm still waiting for them to add the all-organic yodel package. Are you listening, Sunbasket? Anyway, you can get an incredible $35 off your first order just by going to sunbasket.com poundstone. Here at the Institute, we don't just talk about other people's studies, we also conduct our own. Which is why you hear a little bell ring every time someone orders chips from the concession stand. We're also conducting a survey this week. We're asking our audience, does your partner's driving ever bother you? And if so, give us an example. Adam, what about you? Does Jeannie ever uh, complain about your driving? 
No, no, she never complains, but she 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 does that uh, you know that maneuver, the gasp and grab. We go <gasps> and you grab the the, <laughs> the dashboard. Yeah, I've done some of that. You've done some of that. I've done some. Yeah, of that. that that that's rough. Yeah, that's rough because if I'm already paying attention to the hazard and you do the gasp and grab, yeah. I'm going to look away from the hazard. Right. Because like, you're what, wondering what? what the heck that yeah. was. Yeah. Well, I'm trying to pay attention to this truck coming, but what else? <laughs> okay. Well, we'll find out what percentage of our audience is quietly gripping the door handle for dear life. And country music superstar Trisha Yearwood joins us to peer review some research about kissing. Okay, Adam, let's continue our search for knowledge. What is our next field of inquiry? Well, we're going to be looking into the science of Oreo dunking. All right. Do you dunk Oreos? I do dunk You're Oreos. You're pro-dunking. I'm pro-dunking. I also can enjoy a double stuff. Do you dunk the double stuff? Yeah. Have you noticed any difference between the dunking of the single stuff and the dunking of the double stuff from a dunking perspective? Well, you have to dip less into the, uh, the milk with a double stuff because of the weight. You'll, you'll lose your cookie right down the bottom of the... You're going to love this segment then. Our <laughs> guest, Lucas Riley, is a senior editor for Mental Floss, and he just wrote a treatise about the science behind Oreo dunking. Lucas... Welcome to the Poundstone Institute. Hey, thanks. Happy to be on. Now, this is going to surprise our audience, I know, Lucas, but you're going to know about this. Using science to improve our dunking is not a new thing. You write about a physics professor who addressed donut dunking back in the 90s. Can you tell us how he approached the problem? Sure. So there's a professor of physics at the University of Bristol in England named Len Fisher, and in the late 90s, Fisher argued basically that a decades-old mathematical formula could predict the perfect dunk time for cookies and donuts and other baked goods. And he was really interested in the idea of capillary action, sure. the idea that I think we all are, Lucas. <laughs> the idea of capillary action? That, that's the speed at which various substances take up fluid, right? Right. So water is adhesive. It likes to cling to solid surfaces. Like if you've ever stared at a beaker from the side, you'll notice it has a meniscus. And the water is basically attracted to the sides of the glass. And if you've ever also looked at how paint seems to jump up on the hairs of a paintbrush, sure. it's actually Jeez, it's like you're peering in my window, Lucas. <laughs> Spend the night painting and staring I've into a beaker? I've done all this. Yeah. Maybe you've noticed the radiation clinging to my hair conditioner. <laughs> so basically, Len was really interested in capillary action and wondered, hey, is this the principle that is the reason why uh, water and milk gets absorbed into cookies. And he thought, well, you know, when you look at the paintbrush, it's essentially a series of small tubes that's sucking up the water. That's how capillary action works. And a cookie is essentially a series of small starchy tubes. So is the internet. <laughs> All right, anyway, let's get to the Oreos exactly. Um, first, how did you define what you're looking for in a good Oreo dunk? Were scientists able to g agree on what the perfect dunk was? Um, if you wanted your cookie to, like, maintain its structure... Uh-huh. I think we all do. if you wanted it also <laughs> to be soggy... Sure. Your optimal dunk time for an Oreo is, using this mathematical formula that Len Fisher found, is give or take three seconds. Give or take three give seconds. Give or take for, three so seconds. So after three seconds, it, you get to that breaking off into the bottom of the glass thing. Not exactly. Um, that actually takes way longer. Oh. But what these guys found... So there's this group of researchers at University of Utah called Splash Lab. 
and they find quirky ways to study the behaviors of fluids. Okay. They've studied the physics of the perfect skipping stone, and they've studied the fluid dynamics of splashback at men's urinals. <laughs> Jesus, okay. I'm I, glad they're... You know, they're not doing the Oreo one, too, are they? And they did the Oreo one, too. Ah, oh, Jesus. Well, they did them at different times. I hope they washed their Oreo before they came out of the bathroom. <laughs> Hey, so, so Lucas, how did, the, how did the researchers, assuming they've washed their hands and their cookies, how did they conduct the study? So what they did is they took Chips Ahoy, Nutter Butter, Graham Crackers, and Oreos, and dipped the cookies halfway into 2% milk for half a second, one second, two seconds, and so on. All right, I just got to say one thing. You don't dip a Nutter Butter. <laughs> you don't? No, you don't dip a nutter butter. Why wouldn't you dip a nutter You'd butter? You'd have to be a nutter to dip a nutter butter. <laughs> All right, uh, sorry, uh, Lucas. Despite Dr. Poundstone's um, very piquant observations, um, tell us how you went ahead and dunked these things. So after each dunk, they weighed the treats and basically measured how much milk had been absorbed. Okay. And so they discovered, in the case of Oreos, that after two seconds, an Oreo absorbs 80% of its liquid weight. And after four seconds, the cookie basically maxes out and absorbs 100% of its liquid weight. So essentially dipping an Oreo for more than four seconds does you no favors at all. You're just yeah. wasting your time and waiting for the Oreo to fall apart. Yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah. So what is the optimal dunking fluid? There's skim milk, there's whole milk, there's goat's milk, and now there's soy milk and almond milk. Right. Do we have the data on this stuff? We actually do, not regarding Oreos, but we do know that the more fat a liquid has the longer it's going to take for your Oreo to soak up liquid. So huh. if you were to use whole milk, which is about 3% fat, the Oreo should last longer and absorb moisture more slowly than you would if you, you were using skim. So you might, it might take all the way to five seconds to get optimal dunk in whole milk. Right. Optimal dunk. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I was just flashing back to my years at Splash Lab in Utah. <laughs> uh, yeah, there in the urinal. Um <laughs> Okay, so finally, let's take this to the real world. Take it out of the academy. Oh, okay. the, 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 the snooty elitists over at the Splash Zone in Utah. Um, if you want the perfect dunk, what should you do? My suggestion is three seconds and 2% milk. That's a guaranteed recipe for success. It's not going to fall apart. There's some research showing that actually dipping it into something a little fattier so maybe if you wanted to spike your milk with half and half or something, that actually might increase your experience. Um, or for the adults in the room, if you wanted to do something of a science experiment at home and wanted to extend your dunk time, pick something with more fats and carbs, I would totally recommend Irish cream or horchata. <laughs> I don't know the dunk time for those, but it's delicious. I don't think the dunk time matters for those. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Lucas, this has been a fascinating interview. It's like we took a regular interview and dunked it in milk. <laughs> but somehow it didn't get soggy. Lucas, thank you so much. Lucas right. Riley is a senior editor for Mental Floss. Lucas, thank you for joining us at the Poundstone Institute. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Hey, Paula, we need to raise a little more money for the endowment. We're still looking for money to pay for the goalposts for the football field, and the California Highway Patrol is eager to get their highway signpost back. So, what sponsors can we thank today? Lyft, 
reminding listeners that they could be relaxing in a lift ride right now with their eyes closed, listening to Beethoven or whale sounds or a babbling brook, or something else relaxing. Lyft provides rides as relaxing as the buttery smooth voice of a public radio announcer, because riding is just a more relaxing way to drive. Lyft, it matters how you get there. Download and ride today. I'm Ophira Eisberg from Ask Me Another. Every week we play nerdy games with contestants and celebrities. Hear Patrick Stewart dramatically read Taylor Swift lyrics or learn how many quills there are on a porcupine. Find Ask Me Another on the NPR One app or wherever you get podcasts. Still to come, we hear how many of you hate your partner's driving. But first, it's time for our peer review section. From time to time, we find some interesting research, and we like to bring in a visiting scholar to see if we can help corroborate it. Today, that scholar is Dr. Trisha Yearwood. She's a country music superstar, author, Garth Brooks's better half, and one hell of a chef. Trisha Yearwood, welcome to the Poundstone Institute. <laughs> Thank you. After listening in, I feel like I have a lot more knowledge than I had a few minutes ago, so I'm, I'm ready. Us too. Well, listen, Trisha, before we get to the peer review stuff, I just want to say, I've been inviting you to my house to play ping pong. And ping every, pong. every time, like, I, I'll send out, like, as soon as I know what the date for the party's going to be, a ping pong party in my backyard, I, Trisha's like the first person I write to, so I can give her, like, a save the date thing, you know? She does. And she, does. she always writes back and says stuff like, oh, Garth and I are playing Yankee Stadium that night. <laughs> and, and I say, will you tell Garth how sorry you are that you can't join him? <laughs> Uh, this is all a true story. At least you can look it up. You can see I'm not just like you know lying about it. I'm telling you the truth. I'm actually I have a job, you know. But I but the tour is over pretty soon. So you know, I pretty soon I'll be able to say I'll turn up on your doorstep and you'll regret it. No, I'm, I'm looking really forward to it. Uh, now I hope you don't mind. But since I knew I'd be talking to you today, I came up with a few song titles that I thought you might be able to use or. Maybe you could pass these along to some of the songwriters that you work with. Well, my husband writes. Maybe I'll pass them along to him. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Get out of pen, Trisha. These are just these are just <laughs> titles, and I'm just spitballing here, Trisha. But uh, gotcha. Uh, okay, uh, okay. One that I thought of today was uh, "Get Your Truck Off My Back, Dog." <laughs> I like the dog, the yeah. extra. That's nice. Yeah, because nice. it touched on uh, it touched on a lot of the elements that I know go into some of this music. Uh, all my FedExes get lost in Texas. Nice. <laughs> sort of a modern take on an old classic. Uh, yeah. Um, what does my sister have to do with any of this? <laughs> that one hits a little close to home. Yeah. Uh, is it? <laughs> and uh, how about uh, this one? Uh, it's, uh, it's infrastructure week and I didn't buy you anything. <laughs> do you think Garth could do anything with that? I mean, the, it's po- it's, it's, it just rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? I mean, it's poetic. It, it kind of uh, does. I'll write those down. Now, you know, I can't imagine what it's like to be a performing couple like that. Are there any well-known couples um, that we would know that you're, that you're most like? Uh, that we're like? Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, I'm thinking like Lucy and Ricky, but you can use animated characters if you need to, Mr. and Mrs. Incredible. <laughs> Maybe like Sonny and Cher, you know. Are you kind of like Sonny and Cher? <laughs> well, we, we, we've known each other for almost 30 years now, but we had never actually performed together on the same stage, even though I had opened shows for him several times until we did a – he had a one-man show in Las Vegas for a few years. And I would go out and sing like two or three songs in his show. 
and it it uh, it became kind of a shtick where I would go out there and he would say, "Man, he's like, I'm looking around me all of a sudden. I'm like, where's all this blood in the water? And I realize that it's you that's just chewing me a new one out here. Like I would just, I think my I didn't know it, but my whole shtick with him was kind of this banter back and forth, and it it was it was very sunny and share. Um, and so now we now that we're on this big tour together, um, that has kind of expanded a little bit. So. Um, I mean, because I, I, I don't know. I guess I'm just waiting for the joke, so I try to get my jabs in first. But um, so, but we do have a, a lot of fun. So I think we're more, probably more like a comedy duo than we are, a, you know, like a musical duo. Did you say that it was on his one-man show that you were singing on? Yes. I guess it's one man, one woman, right? But yeah, yeah that's what I was about to say. Uh, I don't know how strong your math is, but if it's a one-man show. Well, this is a science show, right? Not a math. It's a math. Well, no, this, math yeah, you're right. This is a science show. You're absolutely right. Absolutely right. <laughs> um, now, let me ask you this. If, We're sorry for dragging math into this. <laughs> is it hard to be a, a celebrity couple? Like, does Garth get mad if somebody comes up and wants your autograph and asks him to get out of the way? <laughs> do, do you ever have to say, perhaps you remember my husband, Garth? <laughs> well, this is funny because, you know, he is the biggest selling artist of all time, not just country music. He's wow. like, he's, you know, he's on another level, you know. So most of the time it's, you know, it's, I'm back in the background. I'm going, hi, I sing too, kind of thing. But, um, but, <laughs> but it, like you know, and, and I guess with the cooking show, actually, there's been a, that's changed things a little bit. You know, a lot of times people are always talking about, to me about the, the show. But there's, so most of the time, though, it's, oh, my gosh, Garth Brooks. So we were at a, we were at like a Best Buy, and uh, this little girl came in, and she recognized me, and she was talking to me and, and about my music, and we were we were talking, and he came down the aisle from shopping somewhere else, and I said, um, uh, "This is my husband Garth," and I was waiting for the, "Oh my gosh, you're Garth Brooks," and she said, um, "Oh, do you sing too?" And I and I <laughs> I I hold that one dear because that's the only time it's ever happened in 25 years of knowing him, um, but it was pretty it was pretty funny. So every now and then. Now, i got to ask you something. You were at Best Buy? <laughs> I was. I don't know if you heard our earlier study, Tricia, but if you sent someone else to Best Buy for you, you might be much happier. <laughs> um, now, let me ask you this. W- what about when you're a couple and you sing on stage together and it's a lot of love songs and stuff like that? What happens if, have you ever, have you ever been not feeling good about one another, have a fight or something, and then you have to go out and do a really beautiful love song when you're pissed at them? Yes, that's when the uh, acting 101 comes in. (laughs) (laughs) You know, Adam and I fight sometimes just before we come on stage. All the time. Yeah. It's our warm-up ritual. (laughs) (laughs) Even though we're not married. No. Um, We simulate it. Okay, Tricia, it's been fun chatting with you, but we have to turn to some important scientific research. Now, we've read some research. We're going to lay it on you, and we need you to help confirm its findings. Okay. Okay? Ready? Here we go. All right. A study from Germany in the 80s found men who kissed their wives before leaving for work lived five years longer, earned 30% more than their peers, and had fewer car accidents than men who didn't. How does that sound? Really? That's what the study found. Do you find that plausible? Okay. First of all, does Garth kiss you before he leaves the house? Yes. And is he still alive to the best of your knowledge? He was when I left the room about 10 minutes ago, so yes, I think so. Um, do you think the benefits come about because of the kiss or because the guy's leaving? <laughs> well, it's really a win-win, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> 
moment of truth then. Uh, yes or no, Trisha Yearwood, do you, uh, a relationship expert, a lifestyle cook slash country western superstar, concur with these findings? Uh, my scientific opinion, yes, I concur. Yes, okay, well, in that case, we need to congratulate Dr. Arthur Sasbo, leader of the Kissing Study. Your research has been corroborated by the Poundstone Institute. Trisha, thank you for doing your part for science this week. Oh my gosh, I'm so honored. Trisha, thank you so much. It was great having you, and please come play ping pong sometime. I will, Paula, I promise. You All guys right. have a great night. Trisha Yearwood has won three Grammy Awards, had 19 top 10 singles, and has wow. written two best-selling cookbooks. Trisha, thanks for joining us at the Poundstone Institute. Thank you, guys. All right, take care. Our love to guards. Bye-bye. All right, the results are in. We asked you if your partner's driving ever bothered you, and it turns out 83% of you can't figure out how your partner even got a license. <laughs> 83%. You know, we should have asked Trisha if uh, she and Garth have, uh, you know, driving tenseness on their way to... Uh, on the tour bus, when on one the, of them is driving the tour bus? Uh, no, when they, go, when they go to the Best Buy. Uh, <laughs> So we have some examples uh, here uh, from the audience. Uh, uh, does your partner's driving ever bother you? Yes. If you said yes, give us an example. He drove like a normal, considerate human until he got a Tesla. <laughs> now he goes zero to 60 in two seconds and almost mows down entire families, especially if we're late for a Dodger game. Uh, well, I think any judge would accept that. Yeah. No, Teslas have a lot of giddy-up. You you know. uh, yeah. Uh, all right, here's an example uh, of someone whose uh, dri partner's driving behavior bothers them. She obeys all the traffic laws. <laughs> I, I, I yeah. see that. Yeah. Because, you know, uh, I have that, you know, Pirates of the Caribbean kind of approach to traffic laws. They're more like guidelines. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, this I could see where that would grind your gears if your partner's following the traffic laws. Driving uh, 30 in the school zone. Oh, yeah. Uh, my daughter just got her license last Thursday. She gets mad at me when I hold on to the upper handle in the passenger seat for dear life. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Y you know, um, I think when you have kids that are getting older, they're about to get their license, it's, it's a good idea um, to get some sort of, uh, for your seats on the last car that you get before that experience, you want to get a kind of a seat that's non-absorbent. <laughs> um, Sound advice. Yeah. Uh, my mom eats while she drives, and she talks, asks me questions, and plays directions out loud while I'm trying to listen to music. Well, I don't think that counts. <laughs> <laughs> I, do, I have a tendency to go put my signals on and then I put it the wrong way and then I push it back the other way. And, and so basically what's happening is from the, if you look at the back of my car, it's going blink, blink on one side and blink, blink on the other side and blink, blink on that side, which I feel is a signal. <laughs> what it's saying is stay the hell away from me. That's a very clear signal. Hey, if you're gonna be in LA and you can't get tickets to any of the good wildfires, why not come to a taping of the Poundstone Institute? For tickets, just head over to poundstoneinstitute.org. 
Well, I think we've successfully driven this show off the road, Adam. Uh, yeah, I would agree. <laughs> the distinguished chair of the Poundstone Institute is Doug Berman. Our undistinguished chair is Ian Chillog. Our folding chair is Mike Danforth. Our chair apparent is Ken Luzebnik. Our chair Jordan is David Green. Our sunny and chair is Franny Kelly. Our breath of fresh chair is Lorna White. Our King Louis XVI chairs are Steve Nelson and Anya Grundman. Special thanks to John Cohn and his pals at Southern California Public Radio, Bonnie Burns, and the Stevens College MFA in TV and screenwriting. Our technical directors are Patrick Murray and Stephen Cologne, with engineering from Tony Federico. Live from the Poundstone Institute is produced by Urgent Haircut Productions in association with KPCC and is reluctantly distributed by NPR. You can visit us at poundstoneinstitute.org or find us on Facebook. Thanks to our head of research, Adam Felber. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week, live from the Poundstone Institute. Are you serious? This is NPR?